Growing up, uh, I loved, and still to this day, loved the sport of baseball. Uh, I used to play baseball when I was a kid. Uh, my dad and I would do, have hours and hours of playing pitch and catch, just working on a few different things, going to the field. Uh, I, was an, I was an absolute baseball fanatic. As I was getting older, though, and I was realizing, like, I needed some work on my hitting, you know, my dad was helping me out, we would go seemingly every night of the week, we would go to the batting cages in Homo. We would drive over, we'd go to the cage, we'd, I'd hit maybe 150 swings, and then pick up, and we'd head back home. And I saw myself getting gradually better. But as I was swinging, as I was doing this repetitive motion of swing, 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 my dad would offer me some coaching. Hey, pick your hands up a little bit higher. Make sure you hold in the bat right. Look, your stance is kind of messed up. Watch the way you step in. And every time he would, I'd kind of roll my eyes, ignore him, and go back to doing exactly what I was doing. I remember one time in particular that we were, we were at the batting cages, and another coach had came with us. Now, this guy had played college ball. This guy I seemed to respect a little bit, probably more than my dad, um, as a coach, though right? I knew he had a little bit more wisdom behind him. And what did he tell me? Pick up your hands a little bit higher. Watch how you're holding the bat. Watch how you're stepping. Your stance. Same things. And I started doing better. But I wouldn't listen to my dad. I would listen to this other coach. I think today, I think in our, in our world today, when someone's doing wrong, Oftentimes, the people closest to us, it doesn't register. If we say, hey, you need a, why, why are y'all living together before you're married? Um, you're supposed to say that, you're my mom, you're my grandmother. It doesn't register, right? When we start kind of pushing people and questioning people on what they're doing, it doesn't always register. I think part of that is because a lot of times it's the people that are almost too close to the situation who offer it. But on top of that, Jesus today in the gospel is giving us this kind of method of fraternal correction. Now when I say the words fraternal correction, in the seminary these are buzzwords. What it basically means is correction from someone who's close to us, who loves us. Now in the seminary, this being just a hundred guys that are living together and all pursuing holiness first, ideally, right? As we're being formed into priests. This concept of fraternal correction gets thrown out around a lot because when I see my brother doing wrong, I want him to be a holy and loving and good priest. So I can go to him and say, hey man, you need to stop doing this. Or question him, where were you for morning prayer or for mass? Oh, you were sick? Okay. But just as a way to kind of keep somewhat of an accountability with the people whom, in the seminary, are striving for holiness. I think oftentimes, that same kind of idea, in a way, doesn't translate into the world as well. I think a lot of times, we, it's hard to offer some fraternal correction. But Jesus today gives us a model of how it's supposed to look. First step, 
If someone offends you, talk to them. Now, every one of us has sat at Thanksgiving meal with all of our family around, and that aunt is there who loves to stir the pot, or that uncle who loves to say the comment that's going to get a rise out of us. And what happens, we don't talk to them. We don't engage them. But we make sure to call every other brother and sister on the way home. Oh, it's hard at times. It's humbling to say, you've offended me. To bring it up directly to them. The next thing Jesus says, bring two or three with you as witnesses. So that you can try your best to walk with this person to holiness. And then lastly, if they don't listen still, go to the church. Ask your priest. Ask your, ask your religious, um, your really religious you know, brother or sister who's in, the ma- in Mass and knows the faith really well. Ask them for advice. But if still the person says no, if still the person doesn't listen, if still the person is like me, listening to my dad in the batting cage, being the hard head that I was, right? If still, treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. Now that sounds to me in my first reading, because Gentiles and tax collectors, like they're not the best, in the best standing in society, in, the, in a Jewish society. Like they're kind of the outcast. That to me almost sounds like Jesus is saying, shun them, get rid of them, ignore them. But he's not. Jesus reached out to Gentiles and to tax collectors. He went beyond what the social norm would have said he had to do. He continued to reach out and to love these people who were wearing somewhat of a stigma. And he continued to invite them into a deeper relationship with God. Sometimes we get tired in that inviting. Sometimes with our children, with our grandchildren, with a younger generation who seemingly has lost all sense of what is really true and what is really good and what is really beautiful in the world. We get tired of continuing to invite them, come to Mass. What about, what about God? What role does God play in your life? I think before we do anything else in any kind of fraternal correction, the first step, the primary step, the step that we all must, everything must be built upon, is that there has to be a relationship of love. If my cousin, who I don't necessarily see eye to eye on in anything political, in anything religious, in anything worldly, if he and I are ever going to build a bridge and be able to talk, and be able to actually find out what the other believes, the only way that we can be open to that is through a relationship of love. He has to know that I desire, that I want to love him, and I have to know that he's going to love me back. In my views, in my thoughts, in my opinions. Fraternal correction is not an easy thing. In fact, it is usually pretty hard. Because first it starts with us looking within before we go without. 
But any kind of conversation we have has to be based first on a foundation of love. In the seminary, for anybody to be open to my critique, to my opinion, to my thoughts about what they did or what they didn't do, they have to know I love them. For me to be open to anything that my dad was going to say to me at the batting cage, I had to know that he was hoping for me to be a better ball player. If we're going to call conversion out of our brothers and sisters, which is our role, which is our prophetic role, if we're going to call out our brothers and sisters and invite them into a deeper relationship with God, we have to first love. It has to be based on a foundational love so that, we can, so that it can be received. So this week, in your life, who is somebody that you work with, that you see at school, or that you live with, who you know God is asking you to invite them into a deeper relationship with Him? Before any action takes place, do they know that you want the best for them? Do they know that you want only good for them, do they know that you love them? Because if you do, you will invite them to the Lord.